Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining. I have to tell you, preparing for these classes has not only enhanced my understanding of this chapter of Tehillim, which is a special psalm, it has vastly transformed my personal appreciation for the city of Yerushalayim. It has made me understand and appreciate the centrality of Jerusalem and why it resonates both for us, the Jewish people, and perhaps by extension with all peoples in the way that it does. Our knowledge is powers. And this is, um, anyway, I learned a lot of fascinating and exciting things as I continue to peel away the layers of David HaMelech's remarkable prophetic tapestry. And today we are going to talk about inside peace, or peace within. Now to be sure, it wouldn't be effective to dive into verse 7, may there be peace pardon me, within your ramparts or walls, without revisiting, albeit briefly, verse 6. And this is where David HaMelech, King David, makes prayerful entreaty on behalf of Yerushalayim. And he prays for serenity and peace to be granted to its lovers. We talked about this in the previous episode quite a bit. And I want to revisit some of the things that I shared with you because I've come to understand them in a deeper and more meaningful way. And because I think that it's the right segue we need to kind of frame this appropriately so we'll appreciate where we go as we enter to go inside or within. So again, verse 6, Psalm 122. This is awesome ascendancy, the Shir HaMalot. Sha'alu shloim Yerushalayim. Ask for. More accurately, pray for. But Shalu comes from the term to ask. She'ela is to ask. For Shlom Yerushalayim, for the peace of Jerusalem. Yishloyu oyavoyich. We talked about Yishloyu as being, as the Metsudos Tzion says, Milshoin Shalva. It denotes an inner peace and serenity. Who is asking? Who is making this prayerful entreaty? Rabbeinu David Kimchi, the great Sephardic annotator of scripture, Radak. He says, and I know we studied this before, but we're going to delve into it more deeply. 
he says, Oimrim Bnei Hagolos. This is what the exiles are saying. That's you and me. The exiles, the generation of Jewish people, the generations of Jerusalem's citizens who have been driven from their home and now find themselves strewn across the entirety of the world or may even be living geographically in Yerushalayim right now. But it's not Yerushalayim Habnuya. It's not the Jerusalem whose spiritual power, profundity, and potential has been realized. So we're all Bnei HaGoyla. We're all ultimately exiled from the true majesty and magnificence of Yerushalayim. And we say, Ask of God. This is like almost King David telling us. Shalu, Ask of God. Pray for Shlom Yerushalayim. What are we praying for? Now, we've talked about this idea of Jerusalem being a mirror image of a heavenly reality. We described in detail the deeper meaning of Yerushalayim Habnuya, the built-up city of Jerusalem, which does not refer to pavement or scaffolding. It doesn't refer to skyscrapers or beautiful structures. It refers to the true essence of Yerushalayim. Ultimately, that which houses the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash whose site continues to be at the epicenter of the Jewish world, but materially the Beit HaMikdash does not exist today. Even if it weren't so, we'd still be in Golos, but as a symptom of the exile we're in today. Consider the fact that I, as a Jew, visibly Jewish, can walk in any street in the city of Toronto. I have no fear. That's the truth. I have no reason to be particularly fearful. I live in a fairly peaceful city. Everybody's afforded basic human dignity, respect, rights. And yet, literally, within a stone's throw, and that's the tragedy, that it's a place where people are throwing stones from. Of the Kotel, I'm afraid to walk today. Visibly Jewish people like me have to be extremely courageous and brave to walk or go armed. Can you imagine such a gullus? In our Yerushalayim, we have to apologize to, for existing, for being? Even if it weren't the case, we'd still be in Galut. But this is symptomatic of it. And it's a symptom that is painful. It's a wound. And I don't think it should be glossed over. So what is the peace of Yerushalayim? The peace of Yerushalayim, says Radak, the Shloma, who kibbutz hagolios. The peace of the city of Yerushalayim 
is embodied in the ideal of the ingathering of her exiles. We are all exiled ultimately from Yerushalayim. Golsa Yerushalayim, Jeremiah intones. Jerusalem is exiled. <laughs> There's a beautiful story I read somewhere. The years, I don't know, early 70s. And there's still an enormous amount of excitement over the reunited city of Yerushalayim. Jewish people at this time are not afraid to walk through any marketplaces or, or alleyways. And there's a, an obviously non-Jewish fellow wearing a kafir. He's not Jewish. And, and there's uh, American or Canadian Jews are walking on a Shabbat morning to the Kotel. And he says to the group, where are you from? And one man says, I'm from Boston. And the older man, he says, I'm from Jerusalem. I'm from Jerusalem. Where are you from? The next one says, I'm from Los Angeles. He says, I'm from Jerusalem. Where are you from? I'm from Toronto. And one wise fellow said, he says, where are you from? He says, I'm from Jerusalem. He says, you are? Where were you born? He says, born. I was born in Warsaw. Where am I from? I was always from Jerusalem. As Elie Wiesel wisely put it, when a Jew comes to Jerusalem, it is a homecoming. What is the peace of Yerushalayim? What should we be praying for? Tranquil streets? No terror? Nobody being attacked for being Jewish? We should pray for those things too. It's a terrible, terrible reality. But that's not King David's calling to us. David HaMelech says, Shalu Shloim Yerushalayim, says Radak, Shloimah, the peace of the city of Yerushalayim, Shloimah, its peace is Kibbutz HaGolius. And he says something positively chilling. Ki ad until such time, until Am Yisrael is not ingathered to Yerushalayim, there hasn't and won't be peace. Because Jerusalem has remained contested, a city that is fought over. Indeed, no other city, at least that I know of, has been conquered, destroyed, rebuilt and conquered as many times as Yerushalayim. I think it holds the world record for being conquered, rebuilt, destroyed, conquered, rebuilt, destroyed, no less than 23 times. And that's what's documented. It's an extraordinary thing. The Crusaders went to capture Jerusalem. The Muslims who fought the Christians who came in the time of the Crusades both firsts and second came the name of their faith. So we have these two faith systems, neither whom center their focus on Yerushalayim. Who are we fooling? For Christians, the capital city of the world is Rome. For Muslims, it's Mecca. And yet, these two faith systems are fighting over the Jewish city. Only Yerushalayim is the epicenter of the world for the Jewish people. We have no other city. 
We have no other focus. So people have fought over this. And the Ma'am Lois, very interestingly, in restating the words of the Radak, he's very explicit. He says that the city of Yerushalayim that has been fought over by nations is referring specifically Ki nilchomim aleha areilim v'yishma'elim Freely translated, Christians and Muslims. They have fought over Jerusalem. They continue to fight over Jerusalem. Washington tells Jewish people if they can build a porch in a neighborhood called Gilo. The Muslim world continues to fan the flames of violence in the streets. It's shocking. Over Jerusalem. Jerusalem's occupation. The Temple Mount being violated. In what way? The Temple Mount is the place where a Jew is not allowed to utter a prayer. Imagine such a gullus. Forgive me for saying the truth in polite company. But these are the facts. The painful, tragic facts. And the Radak says you should know that the nations will continue to war over Jerusalem and there will be no peace until her children are brought home. And then the Radak says, David Amelech, King David turns to the city and he says, proverbially speaking, you, Yerushalayim, must pray as well. We, the Jewish people, are praying for Yerushalayim, for its peace, which means its wholesomeness, that the city will welcome her citizens back home. But Yerushalayim, there should be serenity, there should be peace granted to those who truly love you. Who truly loves her? These are the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. For they are the ones who have continued to mourn over her destruction. From 1948 to 1967, that's 19 long years, the city of Jerusalem was occupied by a foreign government known as the Jordanian government. How many protests were there? Who raised a hue and a cry about foreign occupation? Every single Jewish house of worship was destroyed. Every single one. Not a single Jew was allowed. And snipers used the city of Yerushalayim as a place from which to launch deadly attacks on the Jewish population. There were no sniping attacks on Arabs living in Yerushalayim. It's a fact. It is a fact that not a single prominent leader of that faith system came to Jerusalem to visit the Temple Mount. It is a fact that services, if you will, at the Temple Mount were sparsely attended. But suddenly... In 1967, when the Jewish people came home to Yerushalayim, if partially, suddenly there's occupation. And suddenly the world has much to say 
and lectures to give, admonitions for the Jewish people. Seriously. So David HaMelech says, we must continue to pray for Yerushalayim. Now, truth be told, this is not the only time that King David emphasizes the centrality and importance of Jerusalem for our lives. There are many verses like this. Perhaps the most famous one, in Yerushalayim, if I forget thee, Jerusalem, tishkach yumini, let me then forget how to make music. It's a euphemism. My right hand is, should you be one who plays an instrument, if you're right-handed, you play it with your right hand. Tidbak let my tongue cleave to my palate. Let me no longer be able to sing or enunciate words that are songful. If I don't remember you. But it's not only about remembering Yerushalayim. Here we're hearing something different. David Amalek says, Shalu. It's not enough to remember. It's not even enough to bring to mind. We must pray for the peace, which is also related, as we will learn later, to intactness, wholesomeness, completion of Yerushalayim. And Jerusalem will pray for her children. So when we speak of this peace, we're speaking about the peace of both the city and the peace of the citizens. We're praying for, if you will, structures and souls, as you will see. I just want to mention, uh, first of all, thank you all for joining. I'm glad you're here. If you have any questions, questions, reasonable questions that I can, I can try to respond to, I am going to look at the live chat, as I am now, and hello, everybody. So I'll try to look on occasion and then respond to the best of my ability. And I want to remind you and whoever else might be watching, please, if you aren't yet, I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe and enable notifications. And please share that message with your friends, youtube.com forward slash Robert Mendel Kaplan. Thank you very much. Okay. So from these words of Radak, as they are amplified by the Amlois, I would now like to take you into the world of the Alshech. Rabbeinu Moshe Alshech has a marvelous, marvelous read of this verse. He says, and I quote, Kishatimu l'saper b'shvach Yerushalayim. At this point, by the time we got to verse 6, after five verses of Psalm 122, which is all about Jerusalem, we have completed extolling the virtues of Jerusalem. We finished singing her praises. And this was corresponding. We want to go to God's home. Jerusalem for us is holy because it houses God's home. So we want to go to the Beit HaMikdash. And the Alshach says that it's Ke'ilu. It seems, as it were, that there's no virtue to Jerusalem. It's nothing great about Jerusalem. It's, it's what's in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem is the base of Migdash. So we come to Jerusalem, but we come because that's where the Beit Migdash is. But the Alshach says, David Melech protests and says, wrong. Jerusalem is not only special by virtue of its housing, the Beit Migdash. But rather, there is a mila, a virtue, within Yerushalayim itself. 
Up until this point, he says, Lo yizkartem, rak beit Hashem. You keep mentioning God's home. That's a big deal. But he says, now, shalu shalom Yerushalayim. Now seek out the peace. Pray for the welfare of Yerushalayim itself. Gam he, her too. Not only as the host of the most prized iota of soil, the most precious acreage in the planet. Not only is that, but Yerushalayim itself. Kigam shlemuta rav ugdola leelokim, because its perfection too is great. It's tremendous to God. It's God's city. So Yerushalayim is not only the city of God's house. Yerushalayim is God's city from a Jewish perspective. We pray facing Yerushalayim from anywhere in the world. The code of Jewish law is very explicit. You must face Yerushalayim. If you're in Yerushalayim, then you face the Temple Mount, the site of the Beit HaMikdash. But otherwise, we don't say we face the Beit HaMikdash. We say we face Yerushalayim. Because, in truth, the entire city is called Ir HaKodesh. It's a holy city. It's a city that allows us to perform a special array of mitzvot, mechanisms, commandments that allow us to nurture a more profound and meaningful relationship with our Creator. And there's a holiness there. There's a presence. Vehine, he says, from David HaMelech, King David, saying, pray for the city. It seems that Jerusalem needs our prayers. That we should ask, that we, the Jewish people, are enjoined to petition heaven, to ask God for her peace. So Jerusalem needs us. And as such, David HaMelech immediately now turns his attention to the city itself. Perhaps to the soul of the city. And he says, as if speaking or addressing her. We always refer to Yerushalayim in the feminine tense, like our mother. And he says, Yishloyu May your lovers know peace. May they know serenity. In other words, That which I said, that they, the lovers of Jerusalem, that's you and I, that we should seek out her peace from Hashem. So it's not only about that. It's not only about us seeking out her peace. It's not only that you need them to pray for you. It's not for you, it's, it's for them. Because after all, peace will only come to them when peace comes to you. When Jerusalem is at peace, the people of Israel will be at peace. So this verse marvelously stitches together 
the extraordinary relationship that we, Am Yisrael, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, enjoy with Jerusalem. Her peace is our peace. Her serenity translates into our serenity. And we never can really go our separate ways. We will always be linked to one another. Always be connected. There's a beautiful story that I read years ago. I don't remember the precise details. But there was a man who was very close to the modern state's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion. And during those nascent days of establishment in 1948, so there, was, uh, there were battles, many, many battles, many, many lives were tragically lost. All, all of the Arab armies opened fire and invaded this newly declared Jewish state. And the Haganah, as it were, had a very, very limited amount of arms and supplies. And the world didn't think we were going to survive. And this fellow is telling the Rebbe a story, a narrative. He was with David Ben-Gurion and, and, and um, the soon-to-be first prime minister receives an urgent request for arms from Jerusalem and I think somewhere in the north. And he only has one supply, only one shipment. He can't satisfy both requests. And it's like the awful decision like a person like that, a prime minister, has to make. You know that your decision is going to cost lives, quite literally, many lives. It's like, uh, it's like playing God with people's lives. It's terrible. So he was tormented. What do you, what do, you do? And one, one city was strategically more important. Strategically more important than Jerusalem. But he said, if we lose Jerusalem, what are we fighting for? This is the secular prime minister, the secular state. He said, if we lose Jerusalem, what are we fighting for? And the Rebbe was so moved by the story, the Rebbe asked him to repeat the story a second time. I don't know of another example like that. The Rebbe asked him to repeat the story a second time. In other words, there's something about Jerusalem that moves the inner soul and spirit of every single member of Am Yisrael, or at least it can. Even one who is disconnected from its spiritual roots, from its, from its ruchnias, from its uh, soul power that it radiates, from the holiness that it exudes, somehow we're connected. We understand. We understand somehow that Yerushalayim and the Jewish people's welfare are inextricably linked together. I shared with you a couple of episodes ago something I, I heard from Natan Sharansky, who recalled being in the gulag or in a prison and hearing of, of Matagur's voice or knowing about Yerushalayim. And he said this is what gave him inspiration, Jerusalem. Yerushalayim gave him inspiration. At that time, there was foolish and dangerous talk about dividing our eternal city of Yuni. And, and, um, and he said, in my mind's eye, I ask a future prisoner of Zion, what will inspire him? 
It's not really logical. What, what is it about Jerusalem that inspires people? What is it that moves people? What is it that excites people's imagination and emotion? What is it? I can't explain it. But it's a fact. And Dovra Melech speaks to this fact in a very, very meaningful and profound way in this psalm. So we pray for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as it were, prays for us. And together, we seek each other's welfare and we yearn for peace. This is the, really the, the opening, the segue into, into the next verse, I think. Yehi shalom b'chelech. The peace inside, or inside peace. You know, I was, as I was, um, I was studying this and, and contemplating its message, it became apparent to me that we speak about Yerushalayim, or its peace, this prayer, if you will, is happening on two levels. There's a, there's a soul and a structure element. We're praying for both the city and the people. And we'll see how that plays itself out in, in some of the later verses. But I thought I'd share with you that the Medrash Tilim, on this very verse, the Medrash Tilim says like this, Why is it that the blessing in the Shmona Asrei, we say, we pray for righteous people, and converts, and pious people, and chasidim, for people. And after praying for people, then we pray for the city. The next blessing is, we return to the city of Jerusalem in mercy. Bonei Yerushalayim. So the previous blessing ends with the words with Mishanu Mivtach that God is a, a source that buttresses, that, 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 that aids and assists and that guarantees or secures Tzadikim. And the next one is Bonei Yerushalayim. So the Medrash asks, so why do we say the blessing of Jerusalem, why do we say that blessing after the blessing of the righteous praying for people? And he says, I'll tell you why we say it. We took our cue, our sages took their direction, their inspiration from none other than David HaMelech, King David himself. King David gave them instructions. He said, Ask, pray for Jerusalem. And so the Medrash Tillam says, How does the status of the righteous how does the position of the righteous experience uplifting? How are we exalted? He says, be Yerushalayim. It happens through Jerusalem. So we are uplifted through Jerusalem. Some of you remember, I don't remember this, some of you remember the euphoria that swept across the Jewish world in the aftermath of the reunification of Yerushalayim. Some of you, many of you probably remember hearing those unforgettable words, Har Habayit Biadenu, Motegur, the commander of the Sanchanim who stormed the old city of Yerushalayim in the Temple Mount for the first time in 2,000 years. This coveted piece of property was in Jewish hands for about an hour. And, and he said, Har Habayit Biadenu. And many of you remember the euphoria that swept across the Jewish world the way it touched and shocked the systems, the hearts and minds of Jews, young and old alike. This is what we speak of. 
we are elevated, we are exalted as a nation by virtue of Yerushalayim. And it's interesting to me that we speak about people and cities synonymously, together. The Medrash Tilm goes on to say that on the verse, Marbim Shalom Ba'ilam, this idea that Tamid Chachamim, that Torah scholars increase peace in the world because it is written, Hashem. All of your sons are those who study Hashem or know Hashem. And then it says, Laman for my, my friends, my brothers and my friends, that'll be Bezrat uh, Hashem next week's episode. And this is the idea of Adabar Nashalimbach. So we see a sense of, of, of city and soul, a synergy that, that comes together. And I think that this is tremendously instructive. It really, it uh, speaks to us. And now, with these two dimensions of structure and soul, city and spirit, let us now enter inside peace. Yehi shalom bechelech. May there be peace with inside, and I'm going to translate it broadly as your walls, but it's not really an accurate translation, but broadly, in your walls, in your environs, in your scrimmage. Shalva, serenity, ba'amar And again, I'm translating it broadly as palaces. So in verse 6, we talk about shalom and shalva. Shalom is for Yerushalayim, Shalva is for Ohavoyich. Shalom is for the city. Serenity is for its lovers. City and soul. Now we speak once again about Shalom and Shalva, about peace and serenity. But here, Shalom is for your environs, your walled-in or demar- area of demarcation. Shalva is for your structures. So it seems now we speak only of structure, only of city, not of soul and spirit. Well, we're going to take a look at that. It's, not, it's actually not so simple, but that's certainly the way it seems right now. So let us begin to delve into and better understand this Pasuk. We'll start with uh, taking a look at the commentary of the Ibn Ezra. Can we know what shalom is? Shalom is peace. Where should there be shalom? Yehi, there should be shalom. Bechelech, in your chelech. What is chelech? Even Ezra says, chelech hu hasoviv michutz lechoma. That's the area that encompasses the wall of Yerushalayim. So there's a wall around Yerushalayim. And then there's a, an outermost boundary of the city. He doesn't really describe or tell you what it looks like, but it's the outer boundary of the city. That's how the Ibn Ezra puts it. We take a look in the Radak. Radak says, Chelech, he says, is Chafira. It's like a, almost like a moat. An, an area which represents in a steep incline. Shehi Saviv Lachoma, which is around the wall. Now, I don't know if this has anything to do with what we speak about here, but you know, some of those famous images of the walls of Jerusalem, which are not the original walls, and many of, or most of the wall even is not in its original, on the original foundation. Some of it is. 
But some of it that is on the original foundations, you can actually see a steep incline, like a moat of sorts. It would force an attacker of the city to be in a low position, which makes him a sitting duck for the city's defenders. And that's how Radak sees Chelech. Chelech is the outer area of scrimmage, but he translates it specifically as this low area, like a moat. I don't know about water, but an area that's dug out. And because that's called Chel. <laughs> so lest you think it's only about city and structure, Radak finishes off and he says, Omer is saying, Yehi Shalom. What does that mean, Yehi Shalom? It should be peace. It should be peace means, Shigashivu Yisrael Elecha. The prayer is that Israel should return to you. Then there will be no battles in your walls or outer environs, moat or ramparts. So that's the way, that's the way Radak and Ibn Ezra seem to interpret this concept of chelich. So here's something really interesting. Rashi doesn't comment. He goes mum, says nothing. He just says, Sha'alu Shlom Yerushalayim. You should ask, plead for the peace of Jerusalem. Says Rashi, And they say to her, Peace for your lovers. Vihi Shalom Bechelech. Should be Shalom in your Chelech. But he doesn't say what Chelech is. Why wouldn't Rashi say what it is? So I found in the Sefer Yashmir called Hilosir something very interesting. He gives us a cross-reference for the word chelech. There is one other time in the entirety of our scriptures where the word chelech shows up. It's quite fascinating. It shows up in the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 27, verse 29. Yechezkel Navi says the following. Now, Chapter 27 of the book of Ezekiel is speaking about um, the downfall of Tzur, of Tyre, and its king. So we hear about this Phoenician city which is going to be destroyed. At the time it was the World Trade Center, the epicenter of commerce, at least in that part of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar crushes the defenders, and he captures the city. And uh, it's a very unusual kind of prophecy. Talking about the events that are unfolding in that time, but of course we know, as the Gemara Mesech and Megillah tells us, that the prophecies that are preserved for posterity have a profound meaning for us in today's day and age as well. But exactly what this prophecy means and how it should speak to us is actually... A subject for another day. But what, here we're talking now about words. About words. So in verse 11, Ezekiel says, B'nei arvad v'cheilech al He speaks about um, Tzur, Tyre, being like a, a small state. There were many professionals that it employed. But they had mercenary soldiers who were hired from other armies or other countries. It's like a monocle of sorts, but very wealthy. 
So the children of Arvad, the Chelech, and your army, Al were upon your walls. Saviv all around. And then you have Gamadim, who are Bemigdol who are guarding in your towers. So what's Chelech? What does it mean? Rashi says, Vishor Chel Bnei Adam, the rest of the human element of the army. So there was like, I guess, weaponry, and there were fortifications, and then there was the human defenders. The attackers would have to get past the line of defense. The line of defense formed by people. Bnei Adam Hayoshvim Betochech, these are the people who are in those walls. Mitzudas David also says, Anshe Chelech Mianashecha. People of your army. Chelech comes the term Chayal or Chayalim, soldiers. So the Sian says, Inyan Sivisam. This is the, 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 the army of the nation. So Chelech, the exact same word, shows up in Ezekiel, and there it is translated as a permutation of army, like Chel or Chayal. So, so the Ashmiya says, and I don't know where he's taking this from. I don't know if it's his own observation or he's taking it from somewhere. I'm not sure. The Ashmiya says, he says, look at that. The Radak tells us differently. The Radak, by the way, also says the same thing. Chelech is b'nei molchama. Am chelech, like the people, the armies you hired. So Chelech in Ezekiel refers to people, an army. And here he says, Yishalem b'chelech. So Radak tells us Chelech is a chafira. And may, the Ibn Ezra says it's a scrimmage, an area. Rashi doesn't say anything. So the Ashmiya reasons that if so, it is Rashi's opinion that this Chelech isn't different from the other Chelech. Rashi as a rule doesn't repeat himself twice. So if he already explained the word, he explained the word. It's the only other place in the entirety of Tanakh the word is mentioned. And because the others made a point of saying it's a different, means something different, and because Rashi didn't choose to say that, so in that case, it makes sense to suggest that Chelech refers not to the ramparts or walls, not to a moat, not to an area, a line of scrimmage, but rather to the defenders, to the proverbial army of Yerushalayim, her children. Yeah, that's us. And interesting, or tellingly, the Mitsuda Sien also clearly says differently. He says, Chelech, he choma hanemucha. This is a low wall. So Ibn Ezra doesn't speak about it being an indentation, a ditch, or a wall. He just says it's an area of scrimmage. Radak says it's a chafira. Mitsuda Sin says it's a choyma namucha. It's a low wall, which is michutz la Outside of the higher, more imposing walls, there was a lower wall, which you would call a first line of defense. And that first line of defense is where we ask for peace to be. And how does Mitsuda Tzin come to this conclusion? He says, because there is a pasuk, a verse in the book of Lamentations. 
In the second chapter, it says, There was mourning from both wall and chel. And what is chel? A rampart. So here's the interesting thing. The Rambam, in the laws of Beit HaBechira, the laws about the Beis HaMikdash, Nadia, I'm going to come to your question in a minute. The laws in Beis HaMikdash, he speaks about the outer walls of the Temple Mount, and then he speaks about Lefnim, and he speaks about a latticework. And then he says that inside the area of the latticework, which is the demarcation of the actual holy part of the mountain, then he says, And in our version of the Rambam, it says, Its height is ten amot. And this is what is referred to in the Book of Lamentations. This is Megillah Seicha. The wall and the rampart mourned. He says that Choyma is not the wall of the outer temple mount, the outer wall, the retaining wall, but rather this is Chomat Ha'azara. This is the actual wall of the court of the Besamigdash, which was 20 Amotai. But this was a lower wall. So we see that the Rambam speaks about the Chel as a rampart or a lower wall, a defensive wall. Now this uh, kind of fits perfectly with the Rambam's commentary in the Mishnah, in Mesechet Midot, in chapter 2, Mishnah 3, the Rambam states there that the Chel was ten Amotai. And the Rambam in the Mishnah, his commentary of the Mishnah, clearly describes the Chel as a wall. A wall around the actual Beit HaMikdash. Conversely, Rebbe Vadya Bartanura does not interpret or define the Chel as a wall, but rather an empty space, a line of scrimmage, much like the Ibn Ezra says here. Now, we're not talking about the Temple Mount here. This is not a discussion of Temple Mount, but the terminology is found in both places. So it could mean a rampart, it could mean a space, it could mean a ditch. It's an area, a defensive area outside the wall, not the structure, but the scrimmage. But from Rashi's perspective, Yehi Shalom is not speaking about inside her environs or outermost line of scrimmage, but rather Becheilech, according to Rashi, it seems, would refer to the people, the proverbial army of Yerushalayim. And so, if this is true, we see in the same fashion that verse 6 has a dimension of structure and soul, then the same thing happens in verse 7. Sholem Bechelech would not mean a rampart or a wall. It means inside, inside you, inside me, inside us, peace inside us. Shalva, serenity, And here, what are we going to talk about? Let me just take a look at the question. Narda, Narda is saying that it wasn't just the euphoria for being uh, a Yerushalayim. I understand. No question. It was, a divine, uh, it was a divine intervention and the Six-Day War was a miracle in our times. I'm not questioning that. I'm not, I, and I didn't mean Chas to gloss over it or, or in any way to belittle the miracles of the Six-Day War and the salvation of Israel. People were openly talking about Holocaust scenarios. Everybody forgot about that. But it was openly being discussed in the media. And there's a lot to say about it. In fact, the, the Jewish educational media has some beautiful, beautiful uh, pr- uh, productions about 
the miracles of the Six-Day War. This is when the Rebel launched the Mifsa Tefillin, the Tefillin campaign. But it was something special, as I understand from many, Jerusalem. That, that day Yerushalayim was, was captured was like over the top. Anyway, you, this doesn't say in the holy books. It's just, you know, it's just me saying. So you don't have to accept it, and you could reject that. That's fine. This lets, the main thing is what it says in the books. I'm merely sometimes invoking certain figures of speech or historical d- description to, to drive home a point to try to better explain what we're, we're reading about from, the, from actual Torah sources itself. So I hope that, that answer is not... Okay, let's go back here now to, to, to the rest of the verse. So what is Amr That's a good question. What is Amr So we'll take a look at the Ibn Ezra again. Ibn Ezra says that Amr he means lefnim and inside the wall. It's structures, city. I mean, obviously, where are people going to live? They're going to live uh, outside the wall. They'll be sitting ducks for, for an attack. <laughs> There's an outer scrimmage, an outer area where it's called Yerushalayim, but nobody lives there. People function there. Maybe there's some commerce there. Maybe there are parks. I don't, but it's not, you know, it's part of the city, but nobody's living there. Where are people living? In antiquity, where people were afraid to live in open areas. They wanted to live behind walled areas to be protected from attacks. Where was it safe? Safe in the city. So Armin Asayich refers to inside the wall. In essence, from Ibn Ezra's perspective, he does not define the details of what Chelech mean or what Armin Asayich. He merely sees them as descriptions of the space. So whether it means an open area, whether it means a ditch, whether it means a, a rampart, a low wall, is irrelevant to Ibn Ezra. That's, that's not the point. The point is saying that let there be peace outside and let there be peace inside. Armon Asayich is inside. Is inside. That's, that's the Ibn Ezra's approach to commentary here. However, the Radak gets more detailed. Just as he explains Chelech or Sholem Bechelech as Chafira, a ditch, an indentation in the ground. He says, Armin Asayich is Bati Amizgov. These are the towers, like the palaces. The tall structures, the impressive buildings in the city. Let there be peace. The city skyline should have peace. You know, like the towers of Yerushalayim. Now, very interestingly, when we take a look in the commentary of the Me'iri, the Me'iri says something which is very similar to the Mitsudas. He says, Chelcha, or Chelech, is Chaymesayach, it's a wall. Comes from the terminology in Lamentations. What's Armenesayach then? He says, This refers to Batim, to homes. The Heichalot, palaces. Palaces. So he says, But you think it's only about structures? No, he says, but the intention here is, it shouldn't be a beautiful city that's empty. The city is only as beautiful as its population is. He says, so that there's perfection, completion for all those who live. It's a teeming city. That makes it a beautiful and a peaceful city. So despite the fact that the Me'iri is very specific and direct in interpreting these terms as structural, 
Nonetheless, he does not ignore the soul of the city at all. In the Sepharno, we find uh, something similar. The Sepharno says, Forgive me, where are we? The Sepharno does not refer to a place. He says, Shalom Bechelech means like for those living in the areas that aren't prepared. So I understand it. Gamla Bilti Mizumanim. People are living. There's inscribed for life in Jerusalem, so to speak. So there should be peace. He sees all of this as euphemism describing people, the citizens. The dwellers, the souls, the spirit of the city. So it could be, like we said, a low wall, a fortified area. According to many of the Rishonim, it represents the outermost border of the city. And yet according to others, it speaks or addresses the concept of the citizenry, the people of the holy city of Yerushalayim. I find it interesting that in the Steinsaltz edition, the new, the new Steinsaltz Tillen that came out. So I'll just read to you the translation. I found it very uh, an interesting kind of summation of what we've talked about in the last couple of minutes. He says, Chelech refers to a secondary lower world that surrounds parts of the main fully fortified city. And there be, may there be tranquility within your towers he says, Armino translated here as towers, but usually refers to large palaces, but it can also connote fortresses. So there you go. As far as structures, you have a different, different terminology to be used for structures. But the bottom line is that it refers ultimately to people. And here is where it, uh, I think it starts to get really interesting. So the Malbim, in his commentary, talks about the fact that we have these different expressions, right? We have the shalom and the shalva. And the Malva maintains that shalom is peace on the outside. He says tranquility, shalva, it's a peace on the inside. And he translates the verse as such. What is the meaning of Shalom Bechelech? He says the outer walls or outer areas of Yerushalayim. But this refers to structures only euphemistically, he maintains. Following in the pathways of the Rishonim, he says what it's actually talking is about the people coming to Yerushalayim. How did they come? As a fractured people as a divisive nation, or did they come united and enter the city in that spirit? And he says, When the tribes of Israel who identify with and by the city of Yerushalayim, albeit do not dwell within her, when that happens, 
You don't have disputes and divisiveness around the walls. Yerushalayim is not surrounded by turmoil, but rather tranquility. It is not engulfed in conflict, but rather in peace and in serenity. When that happens, in other words, peace on the outside translates into peace on the inside. And of course, it's true, physically, if there's peace on the outside, you can have peace on the inside. But he says this is far more than a structural issue. We speak here about the spirit of our nation. And if we can get it together and we can be at peace within, then we have the ability to transcend and overcome the challenges from without. It has been observed by many a wise person that we, the Jewish people, fight far too much from within. And if only we fought less from within, we'd more easily be able to deal with the challenges from our enemies from without. The Tehillah Hashem sews this together in a beautiful fashion, stitching the generations of teachings. He says, this is quoted by the Mamloyes. When there will be peace, and he seems to follow the word chelech as your people, your teeming humanity, your human resources. That there will be peace between you. He says, Then you will have peace in your fortresses, then you'll have peace in your structures, the enemy will not be able to dominate you. He will not be able to exert power and dominion over you. But this is exactly the message of David HaMelech. David HaMelech is not simply asking us to pray on behalf of a city. The Tehillah Hashem says, David HaMelech proverbially addresses the nation of Israel. Don't think it's an address for a nation. Because whatever is good for the gander is good for the goose. And the Ramam says, whatever is true for the nation of Israel is also true for the individual. The message to us is, let us seek out the peace of Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim represents unity, oneness, as we've described in great detail over the course of the last few episodes. If we seek out Yerushalayim's peace, if we can embody the values of Yerushalayim, then there will be tranquility from within. If we can only find a way to get along, there will be peace for us and peace for Yerushalayim as well. And indeed, this sentiment is very succinctly expressed by our sages themselves. Only after you hear what the, all of the rabbis have to say, then you can appreciate the words of the sages. And that's why I'm sharing with you the words of our sages last, not first. The Sifri Zuta, which is a minor accompaniment of a collection of our sages on the last book of the Torah. And I quote, When one wants to paraphrase, when one wants to metaphorize, when one wants to figuratively bring to mind not only the city but the spirit of Yerushalayim, what word represents Yerushalayim. What description, what term is synonymous with our eternal capital? Shalom. 
peace. Yerushalayim is peace. Shanema, as it is written, Yehi shalom bechelech. Let there be peace within you. V'chein atamoytzi says the Sifri Zuta. And so we find that God is not going to comfort Yerushalayim, to bring consolation to Yerushalayim. Elo bishalom. Only with peace. Shanemar, as it is written, and here he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Yeshayahu Hanavi said, V'yoshev ami b'nevei shalom. The restoration of Yerushalayim. The restoration of our people will only come in peace. My people will abide in a peaceful abode, in secure dwellings and tranquil resting places. So says Yeshayahu Hanavi in verse 18 of the 32nd chapter of his prophecies. The Yoshav Ami Yerushalayim. And here once again we have a, a corollary of structure and soul of city and spirit. We hear about the Jewish people being restored, coming home to Yerushalayim. B'nevei shalom. Nave means a, a dwelling, an abode. B'nevei shalom. Yerushalayim is an abode of peace. And when it's an abode of peace, then we're secure. So this is, this is the big challenge, my friends. Can we, can we make peace with each other? Can we be at peace with each other? And ultimately, can we, can we live peacefully within our own selves? Can we transcend our own inner fragmentation and radiate peace outward? Because when you're at peace yourself, it's easier to make peace with others. Experience tells us that many people who pick fights and are fractious suffer from a lack of self-esteem and self-confidence. So they bully other people and put them down in order to buoy or build their own self-esteem and confidence. Which is very sad. The person feels good about themselves and is confident and secure within themselves. They don't have to harm other people. Seeking inner tranquility. So seek out peace from within. And peace from within our own selves can engender or allow for peace within our people. And peace within our people brings peace within Yerushalayim. And from there, peace radiates outward to the entire world. So it's kind of inside out. But the peace begins inside. I want to finish today's class with a a beautiful talk that the Rebbe delivered. So it's the end of a Fabrengen. And I think it really sews together everything that we've learned today. The year was 1989. It was Shabbos Parshas Emor. So the Rebbe was speaking about the, the Daily Rambam. And the Daily Rambam then was the beginning of the sixth book, Sefer Avodah. Now the Rambam, Maimonides, in his magnum opus, his codes called Mishnah Torah, does something quite unique. He begins every set of halachot with a verse. He selected a verse. Oftentimes it's a verse from the book of Tehillim. And the Rambam begins his book, which is called Avodah, literally service. It opens with the laws of the Beis Hamikdash. He begins with 
the Pasuk that we are studying. Shalu Shloim Yerushalayim Yishloyu Ahavayich. The first Pasuk we study today. And the Rebbe said, Shalu Shloim Yerushalayim is not only a calling to pray for a distant city. It's not only entreaty for the welfare of the nation. This is an edited talk, so I'll try to read to you from the original. It was edited in Yiddish, and I'll translate to the best of my ability. This pasuk badait the aveda von Aiden ven vengvelche es retzich besef seferzroim. This Avoida, this sums up and encompasses the kind of efforts we should be making that are spoken of at the end of the last book. How does the book of Zerayim end? It ends with this idea that it's not only the tribe of Levi that is set aside for whom Hashem will provide, who has to devote themselves to God's service and then earns Hashem's Almighty is the Almighty's largest. He says, Loi Shevet Levi Bilvad. It's not only the tribe of Levi. Every person whose spirit of generosity impels him to devote himself to Hashem's work, he is Niskadish Kodesh Kodashim, the Ramam says. He can become elevated and sanctified. And Hashem does provide for him. He devotes himself to living for and with a higher cause and purpose. And as such, he earns a special measure of beneficence and benefaction from God. That's how the book of Zroim, which deals with agriculture, ends. And so, the Rebbe maintained that the Rambam begins the next book. Let's check any questions here. So the Rambam begins the next book to tell us that in every time and in every place, even when we live in an exilic time such as ours, when we don't have the physical presence of the Beis HaMikdash. And not only don't we have the physical presence of the Beis HaMikdash, we don't have the peace of Jerusalem Begashmias materially. So at every time and in every place, there has to be what the Rebbe called the bankinish, the yearning, the desire, the heartfelt kind of, 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 of craving. Betten, that that should lead to a pleading, to prayers. And the Rebbe here in the brackets links us to a teaching of our sages which is found in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, on page 30, that it says over there, Tzioin he in She is marked, Zion. Nobody seeks her out. The Gemara says, Miklal de boy drisha. From this we can see a person cannot be ambivalent to Yerushalayim. Seek out the welfare of Yerushalayim. Be concerned with the welfare of Yerushalayim. Pray on behalf of Yerushalayim. Do something to create a peace in Yerushalayim. Don't just pray. Do something. Seek it out. So it's so much so that it should be actualized in Zayna Veda Ruchnis. Here they're speaking about a city, a geography, a structure. He's speaking about our Aveda, our efforts to come closer to Hashem, our efforts to engineer our own personalities, to make ourselves 
a better paragon of Torah teachings. As the Yerushalayim Sheboi, your Jerusalem, inside us. And what is Jerusalem? We learned this is the idea of Yireshalayim. This is the idea of oneness, perfection in our reverence for Hashem, as is expressed by the Teisvis, which begins with the word Har in Masechet Tainit on page 16. And we talked about this. This is based on the Medrash Rabbah that we learned about and quoted. And we talked about the Lakuta Teda of the Alter Rebbe and Rosh Hashanah speaking about this. So the idea of Yerushalayim represents perfect reverence. Perfect reverence for Hashem. Are you at a state of perfect reverence? Do you have perfect awe and respect for Hashem and for the mission that He's given you? Are you taking God and life seriously? I didn't say be serious. I said take it seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. Take others seriously. Take the world seriously. Take the calling that Hashem issues for you seriously. Wholesome, wholehearted, absolutely. That's Yerushalayim. And that has to be perfect. You have to seek that out. Shalom, the Rebbe says, peace is also Milashayim Shlemos. It also comes from the term of intactness, perfection. And how much so? How much so that your inner Yerushalayim is not only a Yerushalayim, but it becomes an inner base on Migdash to the point of Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies. But das is aber noch nicht That's not ultimately fruition. That's not full actualization. Because even if one is to create a perfect balance and synergy within his or herself, and we all have a long ways to go there, but even if we were to reach that, Ein Shambayas, God's home, isn't standing Materially, physically, begashmias in Yerushalayim. They're noch, they're greichtmen. So then we come through our efforts, through the avoda of Shalu Shloim Yerushalayim, to constantly seek out the peace of Yerushalayim from inside out, and to continue to yearn for the coming of Mashiach and the building of the Beis Hamikdash. From this we come to Yishloyu Ahavayuch Shleimus in Yinashalva to a sense of inner security and tranquility and serenity and peace, even begashmius, even materially. And this will be in the future. So we're praying for the future. And the said an amazing thing. Me'enze, a reflection of this, can be captured even now, in the last moments of Golos, at the end of Golos. Not the way it says about Yaakov Avinu that Father Jacob is Bikish Yankiv Leishev Beshalva, Kofzal Avlov Rugzeshol Yesef. Yaakov Avinu saw that tranquility inappropriately. And so the angst of Joseph sprang upon him. That's a long story for a different episode, a different lecture. But the point is here that Ebbe says we have reached a time when we should be able to find inner peace. It should be within reach for us today to find inner peace. The Avoida of Zmanagolos is an Avoida in which we tangle with all kinds of challenges. But the Rebbe said, we've gone through so much, now we have to yearn for Yushloyu. The idea of serenity, 
the Pashtos, even Begashmias, Onoi Havoich, that are Ava for Hashem, which represents the most perfect expression of our connection and relationship with God, as the Rambam says in the book of, in the, the end of the Laws of Tshuva. That the, that the perfect mitzvah, a mitzvah is a mitzvah done with love. And that this should be done in a way of Yishloyu. Our prayer is that as we yearn for Yerushalayim, as we yearn and pray for the restoration of the Beis HaMikdash and for the return of the glory of Tzirin, that we should experience Yishloyu Ahavoyach even in today's day and age. And from this, we are able to enter into the next mitzvah of the Binyan Beis HaMikdash. That's how... The Rambam continues. He opens with Shalosh Shloim Yerushalayim and from there he goes into the mitzvah of Livni's Beis HaMikdash and the Rebbe referred, of course, to the third Beis HaMikdash. The Rebbe said that there's a very, very real and practical lesson that uh, we find ourselves in Galut and it's at the end of Galut. It's like the darkest time of the night and it certainly is pretty dark these days and a lot of challenges and there's a lot of things that are missing and we have small capacity for spirituality and for emotion and for consciousness it's all true. There's Mia Talavavis and, and all that other difficult minimalization of spiritual potential and wherewithal. And nonetheless, nonetheless, the Rebbe says we find ourselves in a time where we can experience an inner sense of tranquility. That's what we have to work on. On creating that peace within. And that's the calling of David HaMelech. But working on the peace within should never, ever divert your attention from the peace within Yerushalayim and the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. And they aren't disparate, for ultimately, one leads directly to the other. And the Rebbe said, this is within our reach today. Let us serve Hashem, let us seek out inner tranquility and peace. Let us seek out the welfare of Yerushalayim from within and the welfare of Yerushalayim from without. For when in her, the city, there will be peace. From there, it will radiate out out to the whole world, saturating and bathing the entirety of humanity in its glow. May that wave of peace wash over us. May we experience it in the fullest sense in Yerushalayim Habnuya, and may we merit to see Yerushalayim reach its zenith as we continue to ask for its peace. Shloim Yerushalayim, the perfection of Yerushalayim, with the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash, and the elevation and transformation of Yerushalayim through which the whole world is changed. Bimheira will be Amen speedily, and in our days, Amen. Thank you again for joining. I really, really appreciate it. Let's spread the teachings about Yerushalayim and consciousness and peace and serenity. And hopefully it uplifts and inspires all of us until such time as we will soon meet together in the rebuilt city of Yerushalayim in the third Beis HaMikdash. Demheira will be Amenu. Amen. Have a beautiful day.